Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. What's up, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. Hope you guys are all having an amazing week so far. I am so excited and privileged to be introducing this week's guest, who is a relatively new friend of mine, Mr. Darren Jacklin. So as a kid, Darren was told he'd never amount to much. He found friendships tough when he was child. He struggled with reading and writing, was diagnosed with ADHD, and eventually enrolled into special education classes. But when you look back on his life, these early experiences forced him to build a resilient mindset and really adopt an attitude of determination that empowered him to succeed. He was going to prove everyone wrong, and today Darren has. Darren's a world-class speaker that's traveled across four continents and trained over a million people in 48 countries. He's a corporate trainer, and he's a philanthro investor, which is investing in projects that not only make money for his investors as well as his teams, but also do good and give back to the world around. It's been a tough journey for Darren. You know, after high school, he tried to kill himself on multiple occasions. He had to learn to walk again after a car accident, and he even became homeless in his early 20s, eating meals out of dumpsters. But after reading the, um, after meeting the right mentors, Darren's life was changed for good. So, you know, I love this particular episode one, and I think you guys are going to catch this in the episode. Darren's got infectious energy. Like he's so passionate about giving back and teaching and sharing the principles that go into becoming a successful human being or really reaching any type of goals or making change in your life. For me, self-care and staying grounded isn't about just finding yourself and creating a sense of wholeness for who you are. For me, staying grounded is about putting your 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 head down in the in the mud and working through things. It's it's having tough conversations. It's having the courage to go after the life you want because you know there's more in you. And Darren is such a beautiful example of somebody who came from nothing, who lost everything, who didn't have the right people in his corner telling him what to do. He didn't have money uh, to start out, but. He's changed his life, and now he's changing millions of people's lives around the world, and it's just a testament to what can happen when you change your attitude, when you change the way you think, when you believe that there's more for life, and you believe in your own ability to just be different. You know, so just such a high-energy human being is Mr. Darren Jacklin, and he's got an infectious zest for life, and he said this one quote, he's not guaranteed to go to bed tomorrow night. I just remember him saying that, and it was just an important reminder for me to to live with urgency, to live with passion, to surround yourself with people that lift you up, to not waste time, and to go after the things that mean most to you. Because ultimately, if Darren Jacklin, with all of the cards he's been dealt, can create what he's created in his life, then anything is possible in yours, mine, and all of ours as we go about creating what we want out of this one life we've got. So... Hope you guys enjoy this episode. 
There's tons of links for Darren uh, if you want to get in touch with him, if you want to learn more about his charity work, or even just send him a thank you message. Just uh, You can go to the show notes. They're all there. I can't wait for you guys to enjoy this episode. If you are not part of the Stay Grounded community yet, go to rajana.com forward slash stay grounded and get involved. Man, I'm so pumped. So thank you all for being here. Thank you all for being a part of this amazing journey. But without further ado, here is my amazing new friend, Mr. Darren Jacklin. Enjoy. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. Hope everyone tuning in from wherever you are in the world are having a phenomenal start, middle, or end of your week. I'm super excited to have you here, Darren. Welcome. I'm grateful to be here today. Thank you for allowing me to be here. Of course. No, I am. Uh, it's, it's the honors all on this side of the side of the table. Um, I remember we first met. One thing that impressed me most about you was how unapologetically giving you are. Like, I mean, you're, you're a massive giver, whether it's in your, in your energy, when you're just in the room with the way you show up with like as yourself or with your philanthropy or your businesses or your, like, it's just, you're, you're a very generous person. And traditionally, uh, from my experience, the people who give the most traditionally in the past, like they had to come from pretty incredible backgrounds. So I would love for you to start there. Like, were you always such a giver? Was there uh, a growing period for you where you saw some sort of light that made you realize you wanted to give more? Would love to start there. Sure. Well, I think it started at a very young age for me. You know, I grew up in a middle-income family in Canada. I'm Canadian citizen. I grew up in a small town of less than twenty thousand people in population. You know, two junior high schools, one high school, and a few elementary schools. I think the big thing for me was, you know, I failed grade one of public school, was misdiagnosed with a learning disability and a reading disability. And from grade one to grade 12 of public school, I spent uh, my entire grade one to grade 12 in, in special education classes and modified educational programs. So I, I was one of these kids who was very adventurous at a young age. You know, by age seven, you know, I was out knocking doors in my neighborhood looking for who's got my money and, and not really the money part, but I wanted to buy things. Like I would get the, the flyers in the newspapers and I would want to buy a new bicycle or want something. And rather than bug my parents for it, I just go out and find ways to create work opportunities and to be in service to other people. And it's very malleable and very easily exchanged. So I was self-taught in that regards, but also I did it because I always felt that I was never ever good enough. You know, I was failing in the public school system. You know, I was misdiagnosed with the learning disability, the reading disability. So I had this belief system at a very young age about myself that I was never ever good enough, never smart enough. I was always a stupid kid in class. You know, I was the most dysfunctional kid in class elsewhere, outside of the school system, outside of my school. So my home and I went to strangers and I guess today we call it a dopamine fix, but I got attention from strangers by helping people in the community and in neighborhoods by solving problems and getting paid for it and then going out and buying things for it to make you feel good. Yeah. So that was almost like a first tint into, was it survival then at that point? For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because I had, uh, you know, I grew up in a regular middle income family, but for me was you know, at school was very stressful for me. You know, I was not your typical kid in school. I was extremely stressed, extremely bored, you know, laughed at, made fun of, the class caught all the time. So I was ridiculed all the time. And so I was this kid who, uh, it was a very stressful experience for me being in school. Like I just, I just did not want to be there. And so I was medicated on a drug called Ritalin throughout elementary school. And so for me outside of school, was safe for me. You know, being in school was not a safe place for me. It was a very unsafe place, very unsafe environment. 
where I felt safety was actually, and that's why I've accelerated today in business is because that's where I'm most safe. You know, it's, it's interesting that I can go out and work on, you know, million dollar, multi-million, billion dollar deals. And that's my sweet spot or my comfort zone. But you put me in an intimate environment where I have to express vulnerability, even like my relationship with Tatiana, that's totally scary for me. You know, it's interesting where people talk about, you know, like I always say, what do you value most or what's most important in your life? People say family, you know, that's probably like five or six on my hierarchy of values. What I value most in life is business relationships. And because I really built my family through relationships with people around the world, mentors, coaches, stuff like that. I'd rather get into a stimulating business conversation than hang out with my immediate family. Um, I get bored very quickly with my immediate family. I think the reason why is throughout my years of, you know, my environment, there are special times throughout my environment. But also, too, is that most people talk about news, weather, sports, and traffic or politics. I want to talk about how to make a difference on the planet, how to be in service, how to be in contribution. So my attention span to things when it comes to family stuff is very limited. You know, I've never had children. I I have no children, but yet we do a lot of humanitarian and philanthropy stuff around the planet where we do be in service through that in terms of building a school over in Uganda, East Africa and stuff. But, um, you know, it's interesting. I've always been the opposite. So most people love, you know, spend time with their family or kids or grandkids or their spouse or partners. I like to travel the world, build financial wealth, and then give it away in terms of, you know, philanthropy and humanitarian causes to solve problems on the planet. And to me, it's like, people say, well, let's go hang out. Like, you know, I had a guy call me up this morning, a good buddy of mine. He says, I said, rather than hang out at a coffee shop, let's go for a hike. It's, it's almost interesting how you created comfort where most people create discomfort. Technically, if we really think about it, could then anybody learn how to be comfortable being uncomfortable? And if someone wanted to go that route, how would they go about building that skill set? You got to get around people who live their life that way because, you know, our environment is always stronger than our willpower. And so, you know, you can go get a coach or a seminar or a workshop you can attend and get some training development. But when you come back into your environment, your environment will pull you back into your old habits. And so, you know, I learned at a very young age to be uncomfortable being uncomfortable and, you know, commit to my commitment. When, so when I commit to a goal or a dream or a target, I commit to my commitments even when I don't even feel like it. And so for a lot of people, you know, especially our side of day, they want the quick fix. They want that instant gratification without putting in the hard work and the effort and the time because, you know, media today, movies today, sports highlights on television, you know, they always show you the success of the sports highlights. I have some friends of mine that play in professional sports and do very, very well in terms of financially, but also in the sports, you know, and you only see the highlights of what they do, but you don't see the concussions. You don't see the sports injuries. You don't, you don't see them laying in a bathtub on ice. You don't see them in the chiropractors, the massage therapists, the acupuncturists, the reflexologists. You don't see any of that stuff behind the scenes because that doesn't sell in terms of media, right? But this is the stuff behind the scenes. You know, you're getting hugged and slugged all the time. You're getting kissed and kicked, and you're always getting supported and challenged. And, you know, people always ask me, do you ever have a bad day? I don't have bad days. I have bad moments. But it's my rebound time. And I've trained to develop myself over a period of time. But I spent a lot of time working on the inside out and how do I deal? Like when I see a problem or a challenge, the mindset for me is how do I turn that problem or challenge or that adversity into an opportunity? How do I turn that crisis into an opportunity? Whereas most people get into analysis paralysis or get frozen in fear. Whereas, you know, I have, I have a therapist. You know, I hire a therapist to work with me, an inner child therapist. And she's on speed down with me. If I'm stuck in something, She's on my speed dial. I have different coaches that I reach out to. Now, I used to always do things by myself and I was a loner. I never believed in that kind of stuff early on. But I realized by making a ton of mistakes and screwing up so much where it cost me financially, emotionally, late nights, not even able to sleep, I thought, wait a second. I surrender. I got to give up. I realized that I'm not the smartest guy in the room. 
I got to go ahead and reach out to other people who can be a support team for me and help me in my inner circle. And that's been a real blessing in my life is not doing life by myself. When did you start not doing life by yourself? You know, the big thing is like, I'm 47 years of age now. I would say, you know, I've had a major shift in the last, probably, I would say the last five years, not till my early forties. And I would say probably my last, you know, Tatiana and I have been together now almost four years. So I would say since she's really come into my life, Tatiana is a really big team player. But I was up until my early 40s, I was a loner. I was a solo entrepreneur. I didn't believe in teams so much because I could outwork. I could, you know, I'd get up earlier, go to bed later. I'd make more phone calls, follow up more. You know, whatever you would do, and I would just exceed beyond what you would do. And I'd always, if you were working beside me, I'd always work outwork you. And just, I, that was my mindset, my mentality, and my execution of what I would do. And it was just, a, I think a lot of it was, um, you know, not being good enough, not feeling smart enough. I'm not feeling lovable within myself. I've worked on myself now with a therapist and with different coaches where I believe in that now internally, where I don't need the external validation. But I would say the big turning point would be in the last few years of my life. Let me ask you something, Darren, because this is a really interesting conversation. The things that made you successful then by that definition were those fears of not being loved, those fears of not being good enough, not smart enough, because that made you work hard. Is that encouragement for those who aren't successful yet to own their fears? Or is it like, should they try and fix those, those, those wounds and those heels then? Like, I mean, I guess I'm just curious, like what you are trying to get rid of now created all this abundance in your life, right? It gave you the capacity to give. It's given you, put you in a position where you can help people and give opportunities. But how do you look at that problem in general? I'm just curious. Well, something to understand is success is not something you go out in the world to pursue. Success is something you attract into your life by the person you become. I've met many people across the planet who are always pursuing success, climbing the corporate ladder, getting the corporate job, getting the dream job, making six figures, getting the promotion, becoming the certain title or position or getting the academic degrees. You get there, you'll be unfulfilled because our voids in life fill our values. Right. So you look at people like an Oprah Winfrey, for example, she grew up with no money. Today, she's a billionaire. Why? Because it was a void in her life as a childhood. For me, is you know, never being appreciated, acknowledged, recognized, feeling good enough, smart enough through the public school system and through my environment growing up. So what did I do is I went out there and achieved massive success, which got me attention. Right. And so I did it for external validation, and approval and acceptance. It's been my journey. I would say a big thing for a lot of people is we mask things, right? Because we want to look good and we also don't want to look bad, right? It's that, that fear of, you know, what are people going to think about? Am I fake? Am I fraud? Things like that. So in my early days, like I never did any drugs, was never, never done a drug in my entire life, was never big into alcohol. I just would outwork people. My, my drug was a dopamine fix of just hustling and grinding and working. Where did that come from? You know, it didn't come from my family because most of my family is government employees, unionized employees. I would say it came as a very young age in terms of, you know, it's a great question, in terms of shaping my identity of that I found a way to get stimulated by getting acknowledgments that I could do something. I think it's also, you know, I'd say today is like a genius state. It's my gift in the world. We all have certain gifts, right? I'm not good with my hands. I'm not good mechanically or, you know, that kind of stuff. I have people around me that can do that. Whereas I'm very good at figuring out problems and challenges. I'm very good at, you know, sales, marketing, negotiations. I'm very good at strategy and execution. I never went to school for that. You know, I learned that by being on the streets through street smarts. And then it's being self-taught. Like, 
you know, a lot of times today people say, well, who are your mentors growing up? Well, a lot of my mentors today and people I grew up with are names that nobody's ever heard of. They've never written New York Times bestselling books. They've never been on public stages. They just went out and built very successful big corporations and put the people up in front and center to have the accolades and the attention. And behind the scenes, they spent quality time with their families and did things very low profile. And I, you know, and so a lot of these people ran boring companies, but their balance sheets were incredible in terms of the returns that they were getting, you know, and the cash flow they were generating. But, you know, you see it out there in society and think, oh my gosh, why would somebody ever get involved with that business? Pretty boring. Well, you look at the returns and you look at the success that business is having and the scalability was incredible, right? So a lot of times in society, from my experience, we like the flashy, shiny object things. But in society, when you want to get around different mentors and coaches, sometimes the quietest person in the room, that man or woman, or somebody you see walking down the street that you would never think is successful, and however, someone defines success, right? Like I've met people who have eight biological children that extraordinary quality time with their children and their relationships. So we all have different success based on our hierarchy of values of what we value most and what's most important to us in our lives. And our life demonstrates our value system, right? So when we're out there looking at people or family or friends, if you just look at and you watch and observe somebody's behavior and how they spend during the waking hours of their day, that will set up the determination of how they live their value system. Yeah. What makes one mentorable? You know, to me, number one is integrity. Without integrity, nothing works, right? Behavior never lies. Neither does energy ever never lie. So I would say someone, first of all, before you choose or select a mentor to become the mentee, watch and observe that person over a three-month or six-month or 18, 24-month period of time. You know, I, I always watch and observe before I approach Sometimes if I go to an event, if I'm at a trade show or a seminar or a workshop or a conference or some public event, I will sit back a lot of times and watch and observe how people are showing up in that environment. You know, what's the, because behavior never lies and so does energy. And then what I would do is watch where, where somebody is good at. What's their gift? What's their strength? And also, are they just talking or are they actually moving their feet? Because a lot of people pay lip service to stuff. But, you know, I had a guy the other day try to teach me about finances, but yet the guy can't even manage his own bank account. Guy's financially broke, but he's but he's an expert. He's got a degree in finance, and he's a financial planner. But the guy, you know, I look at the guy. I'm thinking, man, you can't even take care of your own financial household, and you're trying to advise me on finances, right? You got to get your money right first before you can advise other people. So I always watch and observe people as part of the due diligence process, and then from there I can assess a mentor. But also, a mentor cannot be to every person. Plus, also, I, I have various different mentors and things, whether it's finances, it's relationships, it's spirituality, it's, uh, you know, acquisitions or mergers, it's raising capital, it's travel, right? Like, I love traveling the planet, so I have different people. There's a guy, for example, I talked to a few times a year, he's traveled to 157 countries now on all seven continents. So whenever I want to travel someplace, I, I reach out to him. Another guy I've mm, done yeah. 38 countries. So mentors show up in different forms. And they come in, in and out of your life at different times. And I'll also say that mentors aren't just physical people. For sure. Mentors can be at books you read. They can yes. be, I mean, I was uh, recently rereading uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's autobiography. And, and one of his first mentors was, uh, his name, the bodybuilder in the U.S. He saw him on TV and he's like, that's my mentor. I need to become a bodybuilder in order to become successful. Well, that's not obviously the case, but he took that as heart and inspiration for him to go and create that life. And I have many mentors I've never met and I can't meet because they're dead, but they wrote books back in the 1940s that mm -hmm. played very pivotal roles in my life. And one of the things I love most of all you just said, and I think it's an important reminder is that you don't need to find everyone in someone, right? Like you can cherry pick the things you like about different people 
And as long as you're clear on what you want, that's going to be the filter that allows you to choose who you want to be around. So let me ask you this, like before you had all of the, like the tools and the resources to be very clear on the impact you want to make, mm-hmm. how did you become clear about what you wanted out of your life? And how often did that change? Well, interesting because I, I made a lot of mistakes. I screwed up a lot. I had a lot of peaks and valleys, financial challenges, setbacks. I was on welfare for a short period of time. I was homeless on the streets, you know, eating my next meal of a garbage dumpster. I've experienced that in life. So I've had highs and lows. And I think through a lot of adversities and failures and challenges, it built mental toughness. It built, uh, it, you know, overcoming adversities and challenges, plus the different people I've met. You know, I met a guy a few years back who virtually had no integrity. He didn't believe integrity. He could care less. And, you know, we talk about mentors. Mentors come in your life as a warning or as an example. This guy was a great teacher for me because, because he told me, he says, you know what, Darren, forget about integrity. I could care less about integrity. If I take advantage of somebody, screw somebody, I could care less. You know why? Because in the end, I'm going to die. And in the end, it doesn't matter. And so he was a great example to me, you know, about that. And so I really, from being around various different people, I started to decide what is it I really want in my life. And I also, I think over the last, you know, while, and, I, and I'm constantly like, and I can show you some things that I have here beside me in terms of, you know, my morning disciplines, in terms of how I have a vision letter, my personal promise to myself. But what I do is in my life is I always look at, you know, is this the best and highest use of my time? Am I doing highly leveraged activities? Right. I always like I always wanted to travel as a kid. I always wanted to travel the world. I just got fascinated by airplanes traveling in the sky. So I would always ask myself, how do I get paid to travel the world and do what I love and love what I do? How do I get paid to travel the world and do what I love and love what I do? See, because the quality of our life is determined by the quality of the questions we ask ourselves on a consistent basis. If we go to Google and type in, why am I stupid? Google will tell you why you're stupid. (laughs) Type in, why am I a genius? We will tell you why you're a genius. That is such a good point. Oh my God, that is such a good point. How did you get better at asking better questions? You know, by making mistakes and not, um, like I, there was times in my life where I was not clear and decisive and, and concise in terms of direct and straight in terms of what I would ask. And then I realized that the quality of your life is determined by the quality of the questions you ask yourself, right? So the thing is, is that, so I'll give you an example. So years ago when I was raising money for different entrepreneurship ventures, right? Startup companies, I would always go in and pitch and sell. And what I realized that when I was sitting down with accredited investors, high net worth, ultra high net worth investors, or people who had money or access to money, was that they were always repelled by me versus attracted to me, right? They were turned off by me. And I remember one day I met a guy at a Rotary Club meeting who was a high net worth investor. And I sat down with him after a Rotary Club meeting one time and I started to pitch and sell him on this idea. And he shut me down in a hurry. And uh, he said to me, young fellow, he said, are you open to some feedback right now? Because what I'm about to say, if you shut up and listen to me, can change your life. He said, stop pitching and selling and listen and start to educate and inform me. I've already made my money. I'm already a successful business owner. He said, you're trying to get money for me to write a check for your opportunity and you're pitching and selling me versus educating and informing me. If you did your research, you did your homework, and he goes, if you focus more time rather than trying to sell me on the dream right now and your concept to get you to write a check, if you focus more on risk mitigation and sat down with me and educated and informed me on how to protect my money and how to mitigate exposures to risk and liabilities, I'd write you even a bigger check than what the money you're asking for today. But today I'm going to leave and not write you a check at all because he said there's three types of money in life. There's calm money, cautious money, and nervous money. 
Calm money is where you go ahead and you feel comfortable. Somebody, a friend might call you up today and say, hey, listen, can I borrow some money off you? And you're like, no problem. That person will pay me back. Another person calls you up like, you know, Uncle Bob the bricklayer. And he's like, no way. I'm cautious or I'm nervous here. So calm money, cautious money, and nervous money. So cautious money where you're like, you got to do a deeper dive into diligence. We're going to pass an accountant or a lawyer or someone you trust as an advisor to you, right? Make sure you do your homework of due diligence. And nervous money is where it's speculation, right? It's like you're gambling. It's like you're taking a risk and you can't afford to take that risk because if you take that risk and you lose 100% of your investment, it's going to change or alter your lifestyle. So I've learned this through different mentors and through different life experiences by screwing up and making mistakes. So my life now Whenever I go out there and I meet people, I never pitch or sell. I educate and inform. In fact, it's funny with social media today because I get we get so many inbound messages all the time and through the website of people constantly pitching and selling. You know what we do? We just delete those messages. We don't reply to those messages. We don't return those phone calls or those emails because they're just pitching and selling because it's transactional versus relational. You mm-hmm. see, as human beings on this planet, we're relational creatures. So the key thing is build relationship equity with other human beings. What does relationship equity mean? So if we look at when we go to a bank or a financial institution, we open up a checking or savings account, we open up a bank account and we open up a bank account, the person at the bank or the computer or the machine that we're dealing with today, technology, they're going to ask you to make a financial deposit to put money there. Now you may have some monthly fees or yearly fees on your bank account, but they want you to have a bank account balance, right? Money on deposit. So the thing is, what happens a lot of times when we go to networking events or you're meeting people on the internet like LinkedIn or Facebook or other platforms, people go and meet somebody and they automatically try to get something from somebody without building relationship equity and making a deposit by being a go-giver rather than be a go-getter. And so it becomes transactional versus relational. And so if you help enough people get what they want in their lives, you get everything you want in your life. Zig Ziglar coined that phrase many years ago. Zig Ziglar did. And so the key thing is, is relationship equity is where you, you find people, whether it's in a workshop, a seminar, a trade show, a conference on the street, a networking event on or offline, and you meet people of influence, people who are centers of influence, people that are decision makers, and find ways to be a go-giver, be a concierge, be in service to them. Hey, I know you're really successful. I don't know if you've ever heard of this book before. I'm reading this book right now. You know, chapter seven talks something about what you've done in your company. Highly recommend you check it out. And that's, that's being a go-giver. That's making relationship equity. Hey, I, I noticed you've got three kids. Um, this might be a great movie to watch some night or family night with your kids. It's very educational for you and your family. So you're always being in service by building that relationship equity by being the go-giver, not the go-getter. Hey, I understand you're an accredited investor. I understand you're an angel investor. I understand you're a philanthropist. Have you read this article in the Wall Street Journal? Right, the New York Times on this person who's also a philanthropist or this person who's an angel investor, and this is what they've done. Here's this article. Here's the link to the article. So you're always providing value to someone. So that way, this person sees you as being a go-giver. You're building that relationship equity. So once you build it, over time, it may pay a dividend back to you. Why do you think people are so scared of being go-givers? Because they come from lack and scarcity. If you look at Maslow's hierarchy of values, the pyramid It's basic survival. If you look at the United States of America right now, statistically, 78% of the United States population live paycheck to paycheck. That's about 300 million Americans are paycheck to paycheck. So they're constantly in the vicious cycle of the rat race, right, of just getting by and making ends meet. And so the challenge is when you come from a lack and scarcity mindset, which I did, I used to, and now I come from abundance and prosperity. So I took lack and scarcity and now to abundance and prosperity. So it's also our environments as well right? I used to hang out with, I remember one day I sat down with one of my mentors 
and I was financially flat broke. And I was just hoping he was going to pay for the breakfast because I didn't have the money. But, he, you know, and he did. He bought breakfast that day. And, and um, you know, it was interesting because he sat down with me and he said, Darren, how are you doing right now? And I said, I'm, I'm all right. And he goes, listen, you're financially broke right now. And he says, listen, if you hang out with four financially broke friends, you become the fifth. Well, my four closest friends to me, we were all borrowing money off of each other. We we're all financially broke and we never got ahead. And so your environment is so important to who you spend time with, who you hang out with. And so I always say to people, listen, if you want to get a promotion or get a raise at your job or your career, you know, you want to become a branch manager or a regional vice president, you want to become a CEO or an executive or an account manager, look at other people in your industry or competing industries and hang out with those people who are already branch managers or regional vice presidents. If you want to be a six-figure income earner in the financial service industry or real estate industry, get around other people who are making that kind of income or you want a better physical body, go to a gym and work out with somebody or get around somebody who's working out four or five days a week or who's taking nutrition and working out and exercising, right? So you get into those environments. It's very, very important, right? If you want to, you know, for myself, when I was traveling on the road, I'd always stay at the, you know, the Motel 6s, the Holiday Inns, the cheap hotels, because that's all I could afford financially. And I'd be out raising money and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm at the Holiday Inn right now. There's a free continental breakfast the next morning. So I'm networking while I'm having breakfast, realizing that nobody's got a check they can write. And I remember sitting down with one time with a, uh, you know, an investor and he says to me, he says, where do you stay? I said, well, I stay at the Motel 6, the Holiday Inn, the Ramada Hotels, the Travel Lodges. Why are you there? I said, well, I'm on a budget. He goes, you realize that you're never going to find a guy like me at any of those hotels? I said, where do you hang out? He goes, I hang out at the four and five star hotels. I said, well, I can't afford it. He goes, listen, you can't afford to stay in the hotel room yet, but you can afford to stay in the lobby. So he said, I suggest you go in and get a tea or a coffee or a soft drink, hang out in the lobby for a couple hours and start to watch and observe what's going on and start to meet people. I said, well, how do I meet these people? I'm scared to talk to these people. And he said, well, just say hello to people. Say good morning, say good afternoon, say good evening and start with there. He says, people are approachable. See, we're taught as children, don't talk to strangers. Yeah. Strangers have everything we want, everything we need, everything we desire in our lives. Everything we want in our lives is going to come from strangers. You're going, to, you're going to meet somebody if you're dating, if you're single, you're raising money, you want a promotion, you want to change jobs or careers, you need a real estate agent, you need a barber, you need a chiropractor. That's all going to come from referrals, which are all strangers. Darren, how do you, one thing I've consistently noticed in just your story is that you just move forward, man. Like you're, you're, you're just move forward. How do you build the the mindset to just move forward in the face of fear in the face of like, I, there's that go getter attitude. I know you're a massive go giver and I know that, but there's also this, like this innate sort of drive to just push through obstacles, whether it's bulldozing through them or going up, it doesn't matter. You're, you've kind of got this attitude. Where did that attitude come from and how do you cultivate that? Can, can that be learned? I met somebody many years ago who asked me a question that, you know, because the quality of our life is determined by the quality of the questions we ask ourselves. And he asked me this question. He goes, Darren, are you going to go to bed tomorrow night? I said, well, of course I am. He goes, listen to the question I just asked you. He said, are you going to go to bed tomorrow night? And the answer is, you don't know. Mm. And so I realized I don't know if I'm going to go to bed tomorrow night. Right. I can count my blessings day and be grateful. I woke up today that I can take my next breath as a matter of conversation with right now. But there's no guarantee I'm going to go to bed tomorrow night. So I play full out and live life to the fullest every moment of every day that I can, because there's no guarantee, no matter how much money you got, no matter your degrees, what side of the tracks you grew up, how smart you are, how connected you are, there's no guarantee you're going to go to bed tomorrow night. And so it's, it's living full out in my life, because I learned years ago that fear does not live in action. And I always ask you, I said, what is fear? 
Well, people say, well, fear is, you know, false evidence appearing real. Well, that's an acronym. What fear is, is fear is an anticipation of pain. So if fear is an anticipation of pain, is it past? Is it present? Or is it future in our life? You know, where does it live? Well, it's in the future. It's an anticipation of pain because our thoughts create our feelings. Our feelings create our actions and our actions create results in life. So our thoughts and our feelings are internal. Our actions and our results are external in our life. So the key thing is be mindfully aware of what are our thoughts and our feelings, right? So when, I, when I'm out networking or contacting people or following people, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm uncomfortable. I live out of my comfort zone every single day. I'm doing things with my teams that work with me in our group of companies. Every day I'm scared. Every day I'm like, wow, when I hit the feet on the floor every morning. But at the same time, I'm full of life. And what I realize is that whenever I get really scared, and I do get scared, I take the focus off of me. And I learned this many years ago in you know, Dale Carnegie and Toastmaster International when it came to public speaking. So my mentors in these two organizations that are wonderful organizations said, Darren, whenever you have a fear when you're public speaking, take the focus off of you and be in service to your audience and get to know mm. your audience. Yes. So if you're on a date and you're really nervous, take the focus off yourself on the date and focus on the person that's in front of you. If you're nervous sitting on an airplane to decide the person beside you, take the focus off of you and start to be in service and start to listen and become curious and inquire about the person beside them. If you don't know what to say, then start with an acknowledgement or a compliment. Hey, I really like your shoes. I really like your outfit. I really like your smile. I really like your energy. I really like the way that you walked in here and you conduct yourself, your character, your confidence, and start with an acknowledgement or compliment and just go from there. Gosh, so much gold in that, man. I mean, and that comes back to, it's relentless, right? Like, do you ever get tired of being such a, like, like just being this with, at this energy state, like constantly being, giving, living? I know that there's, there's that urgency for life that creates that zest for life. And that can be infectious and passionate, but how do you nourish your spirit every day? Well, I, I have daily routines. So I, I spend, I meditate every day. It's non-negotiable. I journal every day, non-negotiable. I travel a lot. So I live here in Vancouver, Canada, a beautiful place. So when the weather's great and it's not raining in Vancouver, I'm outdoors. So I've set my life up by design. So I'm virtual and location dependent. So sometimes when I'm on a conference call, I will, uh, and I'm not speaking all the time on the conference call, I'll put my earbuds in and I'll go for a hike or go for a walk. So I, I spend time in nature. We live here in Vancouver on the Pacific Ocean. So I'm close to the ocean, close to water. Uh, and then also, too, is whatever devalues my time or does not multiply my energy. And here's something to consider, okay? A lot of times people will hang out with coworkers or in working environments where their energy is drained. And they go home at the end of the day and they're completely exhausted and tired and just don't want to spend time with the kids or their spouse or partner. They just want to watch television or get on the Internet. And that's toxic and dangerous over time. What I always do is, like, people always ask me when, when I'm doing joint ventures or strategic alliances where I have financial partners that work with me on different projects, they go, how do you select a partner as part of the due diligence process? And one of the things I look for is if I'm with this person, can I multiply my energy with them, right? Mm -hmm. I was just with a guy uh, just recently. He's 80 years old. Just a couple weeks ago, I was with this guy, 80 years old here in Vancouver. He was visiting Vancouver. This guy has 157 companies. In his portfolio, he's active and passive, majority number passive. He's 80 years old. He has a, an executive team, a management team, a board of directors. He's 80 years old, and he has more energy than you and I combined at the age of 80. My neighbor, who lives just down over here, is 91 years of age. He's the third wealthiest man in Canada. 
multi-billionaire, employs almost 50,000 full-time employees. He's 91 years of age. He still drives to work six days a week. That is amazing. Now, if he stopped doing that, he'd probably drop dead. One of my good friends who's a lawyer, he's 80 years old. I just saw him just a couple of weeks ago. He's 80 years old, still goes in a law firm practicing law. He's got four children. He's got lots of grandchildren, spends great time with them. He's a very family-oriented man, but he loves the legal profession and loves the people in the office, loves the camaraderie, loves the collaboration, loves being in that working environment, that ecosystem, that culture that he's around. And he goes, Darren, is what am I going to do? Go home and watch Jeopardy on TV? He goes, I'm just going to rot. I'm going to die. He goes, as soon as the body slows down, you create dis-ease. He goes, mm. I mean, I'm sharp as a tack because I'm in a law firm around other intelligent, smart people that have a heartbeat that are go, 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 go. And he goes, I'm solving problems all the time with the juniors in the law firm. He goes, that engages my mental focus. He goes, I got to keep sharp. I got to keep physically fit. I got to eat healthy. He goes, if, I'm, if I stop being here, I'm going to start watching more television, surf the internet. And guess what? I'm going to break down. So he, he's 80 years of age. He's still practicing law. Still goes to law us, you know, four or five days a week. And so you get around some of these older men and women that we see, you know, the, the fitness center I belong to, there's a woman there. She's 101 years of age and she teaches aerobics classes one day a week at the community center. She's 101 years of age. She's feisty. It's funny, it's funny when she goes to the gym because she starts bossing people around and uh, she, people get a good sense of, get a good kick out of her. She's a good sense of humor. But I tell you, man, like I look at myself, I'm 47, she's 101, and she's just full of vitality and vivid vigor and energy. Where do you think that comes from? You know, I think it comes from, for myself, from my observation is, you know, what are your morning rituals and routines and habits? And what are your evening rituals, routines and habits? Because what I've learned, and I've been around a lot of professional athletes, and a lot of super successful people is that, you know, you can have days where you're completely exhausted or tired or jet lagged or, you know, you're low energy, but what will get you through the adversities, the failures, the challenges, the setbacks, the disappointments is what are your habits that you're committed to? What are your non-negotiables? Yep. You know, I was somebody the other day who's been married for 47 years to the same woman. And uh, cause sometimes people say, well, I've been married 47 years, but I've had three divorces and three different relationships. But he's been married to the same woman. I said, what's one of the secrets to your relationship? He goes, Friday night's is date night. It's non-negotiable. He goes, from 7 to 10 p.m. every Friday night, we do a date night. Whether we're staying at home, ordering Chinese food, we're watching a movie, I'm massaging her back or rubbing her feet, or we're going for a walk with the dog. But every Friday night, it's our calendar night that we mark our date night, and we spend quality time working with the love languages of that evening. It's non-negotiable. He said, I don't care where we are on the planet. It's our date night. And that's a non-negotiable because nothing gets in on that time. That's a non-negotiable. So I think in terms of people, their life is what's the non-negotiables that you're not going to be non-negotiable with in your life. Whether it's date night, spending quality time with your kids, you know, paying yourself 10%, working out at the gym, exercising, you know, eating right, you know, is a non-negotiable that you're not going to be in a negative or toxic environment. Is it going to be a non-negotiable that if somebody disrespects you or somebody lacks integrity, that you're not going to associate with that person. You're going to have set healthy boundaries or set your terms. So in addition to rituals and routines, what do you think the role of spirit is? Like, cause I think about like, you think about these individuals, though lady is 101 years old. Sure. She's got amazing routines, but there's also just a commitment to life, right? Like there's that spirit for life that, that like enthusiasm to just say, Hey, I'm going to do this. So like, how do we nourish that? I think, um, like myself, I'm very self-driven and self-disciplined. Majority of people aren't in society. 
I've learned to, to develop habits and high, have high standards for myself and, you know, measure things and journal things, stuff like that. But the thing is, is it's your environment. You know, who you, who's in your inner circle? You know, I always call it your circle of five, right? Show me the five people you spend the most amount of time with yeah. and show you who you become and who, who, where your life's going to be because they have influence on you, right? Proximity is power. So I think a big thing is for a lot of people is that do you set your life up by design for success? Like, you know, somebody says, hey, I want to get a promotion in my company. I want to earn more money. I want to climb up that ladder in the company. I want to eventually become in management or ownership or an executive position or whatever title they want to get into. Well, is, do you have people around you that are cheerleading you and championing you on to do that, right? Do you have people, you know, you want to train for a marathon or you want to run a, you know, some kind of a, a race. Do you have people around you saying, hey, listen, you didn't do your push-ups today. You didn't go to the gym today. You didn't eat right. You didn't drink them out of water. You didn't take your supplements. You didn't get the proper rest. So accountability is a big thing. Right. Like I have people who hold me accountable that we have uncomfortable conversations. So like people always look at where I'm around, but I have people in my inner circle that hold me to highest standards of accountability and honesty and integrity and vulnerability. And for most people, it's a pressure curve. They don't want to be around that environment. They don't want to be held accountable. You know, there's things that we got to do, even do things that we don't even like doing it when we got to do it. Sometimes it's three o'clock in the morning. Right. Like I got an email just before I jumped on this call with you from my assistant that I got to deal with somebody in South Africa. And the only time we can do it is at 3 a.m. Pacific Standard Time Zone here in Vancouver to do the call with this guy who's the CEO of a company over in South Africa. So I'm like, sure, I'll do it. And, and, and my assistant's like, you'll do a call at 3 o'clock in the morning? Said, yeah, whatever it takes. See, I'm the type of guy, in fact, that I'll jump on a flight. And there was times where I couldn't even afford it. I remember one time, I'll give you a quick example. Almost 20 years ago, there was a, a company called Barclays Bank in, in the United Kingdom. And there was a guy I met through Barclays Bank. And when I was doing a lot of phone calls and cold calling and sending out faxes and fax machines, and there was this guy at Barclays Bank. And I called up London guy in somewhere around the London, England, UK area, worked at Barclays Bank. And he was a decision maker. And I called him up and I said, I want to come in and talk to you about doing corporate training for your, your bank. And he's like, where are you? I said, well, I'm in Canada. He goes, well, you're on another continent. And I said, yeah. I said, listen, I'm willing to come over and meet with you. And, and um, so back and forth for seven months through telephone and fax machine. This is how far we're going back, right? Before internet days, we're using the fax machine. And I phoned up a buddy of mine one day. I said, listen, this guy's willing to give me a 15-minute in-person meeting at a coffee shop by London Heathrow Airport in London, England. I said, I need to borrow, uh, it was like $1,900 on your credit card. He's like, for what? I said, I need to book a flight. I need to fly from, from Canada over to London, England right? Next flight out, I need to go over there and meet this guy for 15. He goes, well, do you have an agreement? Do you have a contract? I said, nothing. I'm just going to build some relationship equity with this guy. He says, come on, dude, you're crazy. He says, you're going to put money on my credit card to fly from one contract to another <laughs> with no guarantee. And I said, yeah, I'm just going to build relationship equity. He goes, you're freaking crazy, man. He said, that's so high risk. What if you don't pay me back? I said, listen, if I don't pay you back, man, I'll give you all my furniture. Uh, you know, I'll give you my car, whatever it takes. I'm just broke right now. I just need the money. I don't have the liquid cash. I don't have the credit right now. My credit credit's all burned up. So this guy took a leap of faith with me. He put his put my uh, airline ticket on his credit card. I flew from Canada over to London, England. Met with this guy for 15 minutes. It ended up being 22-minute meeting face-to-face at a coffee shop in London, England. I left after the meeting, came back. The guy didn't return any of my phone calls, none of my faxes, nothing. Several months later, and finally one night, because of the time zone difference, I, my fax machine was going off, and the fax is coming in from this guy. And he says, you know, after careful consideration and review, because he was slow and methodical in his personality style, he was a perfectionist. 
And he's a banker. He said, well, I want to bring you in. They ended up paying me, I think it was $10,000 back then to come in for a day of corporate training. And I paid the guy back who loaned me the money for the, for the uh, airline ticket. I paid him back within 30 days. Plus, I gave him a little bit more because I put on his credit card. But you see, the thing is, what are people willing to do today? You know, people want to go for a job interview or they want to go raise money or they want to model after somebody. They want to become some big speaker. Or they want to be, you know, some CEO of a big company or they want to build up some company or they want to get around somebody who's been married for 50 years successfully or somebody who's extremely healthy. But you see, people won't pay the price. But you see, when it comes to success, you've got to pay full price and you've got to pay for it in advance. Yep. We see people sometimes that are professional athletes, as an example, they've paid full price because at age five, they were working out. You know, they were running on the track. They were in the gym. They were doing the push-ups and the sit-ups and the jumping jacks and the burpees. They were working on health and nutrition. They were staying up late at nights. They were going to the rink or the arenas early in the mornings on Saturday mornings when the rest of the kids at school were sleeping in. During their summer holidays and their Easter holidays and Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays, they were working out when everybody else is on vacation with their families or sleeping in or watching cartoons or watching movies, right? So they paid for success up front. People see me now, they say, oh man, life's so easy. You can call pretty well anybody you want to on the planet through your Rolodex of people. Yeah, I can. I've got access to a lot of people across the planet in a hundred plus countries around the world. But the thing is, that's taken a few decades to build up. It didn't happen overnight. It's been thousands and thousands of hours and, and, and lots and lots of money over time where I didn't have it. But I went out and created it or I sold things, right? I did side hustles, side jobs to, to, to make ends meet, to bring money in. And there was months where I couldn't pay my bills on time. I was three, four months behind on my bills. And I have to negotiate with my landlord or negotiate with the telephone company or negotiate with the internet company so they don't cut my internet off, right? See, I learned something years ago that, you know, you're either going to get good at selling, selling your product or your service or you're going to get good at selling your stuff on, on eBay or Craigslist because you got to pay your rent at the end of the month. Right? You see these people who have these yard sales all the time. They're selling stuff online or they're calling like, hey, man, I got to sell my car. I got to have a fire sale or I got to sell my canoe or my kayak. Or I got to sell my watch or I got to sell stuff. Why? Well, man, times are tough right now. I got to pay my payroll. I got to, you know, I got to pay for something or, you know, I got a parking ticket or, or I, I, you know, I got mechanical problems or I need vet bills. I need some quick cash, man. Right. The fastest way to earn money, the fastest path to cash is look around your environment. And just take inventory of look around your home, look around your storage locker, look around your closets, look at your purses, your handbags, shoes, look at clothes, look at computer equipment, look at, you know, golf, you know, maybe you bought golf bag four years ago. Maybe you brought a a Bowflex gym off an infomercial on television and you ordered it and you've only used it four or five times the New Year's resolution and sat there for three or four years. Look at the canoe or the kayak, you know, that you, you bought brand new. You've only been out kayaking for three years. Well, sell it. And if you want to go kayaking or you want to go paddle boarding, then go around for a couple hours. You see, people buy all these things that are liabilities. I know a guy just bought a boat here just last year. He used it four times in the last year, little over a year now, four times, paid $28,000 on this boat, just for the boat. Then he had to buy the motor, the insurance, the maintenance, and the mirage for it as well. And the guy's broke. And he's like, man, I'm just so tight for cash right now. Well, man, you pay $28,000 for a boat of money you don't have. Right? Sell the boat. If you want a boat, go rent a boat for a few hours and enjoy yourself. But don't attach yourself to a liability. What's the choices, right? It's always the choices. And I think one of the most powerful things we can do as individuals who are looking to create change is to be very mindful of the choices we make. The choices, and choices can be anything. The choice of what you choose to put in your brain, like the choice of what you choose to look 
on your phone or on social media, who you choose to follow, who you choose to learn from, what you choose to do, what you choose to eat. It's all our choices. And I think that when I just love the the consistent reminder from you, Darren, like I think if there's one thing I love most about you, man, I just love the absolute consistency with which you just show up. Like there's, it's just the choice you make every single day to show up, the choice you make to have rituals, the choice you make to, I'm actually going to quote you on this. So it's a, I only hang out with people that multiply my energy. Yes. Love that. That is phenomenal. That's a choice you made. Absolutely. That's a choice that you make every single day to not be around anybody that doesn't multiply your energy. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we just all begin to look at our choices with the same fervor that you do, we'll, 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 be, we'll be in a good place. Darren, uh, brother, I am so grateful you're here. If anybody listening wanted to reach out, learn more from you, follow you, or even come watch you speak one day, like how do they go about doing that? Yeah, the best way to go to is uh, you'll Google my name, Darren Jacklin, or just go to darrenjacklin.com. There's lots of great information on the website there of what we're doing. And uh, yeah, you can follow us on social media as well. And just here to make a difference and serve. Travel a lot. You know, I see a lot of countries in a year, a lot of cities. So always on the road. Love traveling, touching ice. So maybe we'll meet up sometime in some city or country. and. Uh, you know, if you love doing stuff, we love doing a lot of stuff when it comes to humanitarian philanthropy. I speak at conferences and conventions all over the planet, and I have a very successful investment portfolio of a lot of stuff as well. So somebody, whether it's philanthropy, humanitarian, you want to get trained, developed, and mentored, you want to look at co-investing on some things, reach out to us through darrenjacklin.com and see if there's a match and way we can be in service and contribute to your life. Beautiful. Well, we'll make all those links available for anybody trying to write all that down right now. Uh, Darren, I got one last question for you, man. In the midst of everything you've been through, how far you've come and how far you still have to go, how do you stay grounded? You know, I stay grounded by knowing, number one thing is minimizing, eliminating distractions is a big thing. So what I do is I focus on what, what's most important and what I value most in my life. And where I find where a lot of people get off of being grounded is they're doing too many things. So I say no. I have, you know, I have people around me like, my, you know, Tatiana, my partner in life and, and my assistant. They say no a lot to things. So I don't get involved with something unless, you know, there's been due diligence. There's been a relationship build, relationship equity. So staying ground number one is say no to a lot of things. Mm. And also always say yes to things that, you know, multiply your energy, but do not devalue your time. Right. So I work on high leveraged activities all the time. It's a way I stay grounded. So, for example, I'll give you a quick example. So I, I realized a while back if I wanted to really play a big game in life and serve humanity and reach, reach lots and lots of people and make a big difference, that I couldn't make my bet because I, I kept track over four months in a spreadsheet. For those of you who like numbers, you're going to like this, okay? So over four months, I kept track in a spreadsheet of how much time I spent making my bed. And I averaged on, on a monthly basis was four hours a month making my bed. So for those of you who are entrepreneurs or in sales or in business, let's look at the numbers because numbers don't lie, right? Four hours times 12 is what? 48 hours. So now put a dollar amount to what each hour, what you're worth per hour. And I was spending 48 hours per calendar year making my bed. So staying grounded is looking at things in your life that occupy space and time in your mind. So create a to, do not to do list. What are things you're going to stop doing? So if you if you go to Costco or Whole Foods or the grocery store and you're impatient because you got to find a place to park and you're treating people, you know, you know, you're rude to people in the grocery store lineups and you're like, oh my gosh, I got to run around this grocery store. That's not for you. Get home delivery. Hire someone in your neighborhood. Hire a, a professional service to go out and do your grocery shopping. Pay, you know, if, if you get impatient, um, you know, keeping your bills on time, do automatic payments. So what I do is I systemize and automate and I minimize distractions 
and things that devalue my time so I stay grounded. And it's interesting when you start to look and take inventory and do an audit in your life of all the things that consume and occupy your time during the waking hours of your day, you'll free yourself up because successful people spend money to save time. Successful people spend money to save time. Unsuccessful people waste time to save money. So in the beginning in our lives, we don't have any money, but we have lots more time. So what do we do? We work, 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 grind, hustle, over shit, over, over time, work late hours, a couple of different jobs, side hustles, things like that. So we can get some bank, get some cash, right? So we're cashed up. Then we got some money. What happens? Now we do things. We delegate things. We leverage things. We hire people to do things so that you've got time because you want to buy back time. So something I've learned in my life is to stay grounded is always look and take inventory of what occupies your space and time. What's creating stress in your life? Where do you get frustrated? Where do you get impatient? Right. And this is a spiritual thing for me as well, where you send to yourself and say, you know what? When I do that, I'm not the best person to do that. I'm not that mm. guy. Right. Like me, like take me grocery shopping, man. Like I, I went the other day with Tatiana. We went to Costco and I was so impatient. Number one, it took us 12 minutes to find a place. I keep track, but it took us 12 minutes to find a place to park. Then there was no grocery carts, <laughs> right? So now we're walking around this freaking Costco trying to find grocery carts because there are all the grocery carts. Then we got in there. It was so traffic jam. It was like being in New York City trying to walk in the subway. This is in a Costco. And then four of the four things that Tech 10 on our list to get, Costco was sold out of it. Mm. So I'm like, I'm done. Like, like, no, we have somebody that does that now, but I went there because you know, it's relationship building with Tatiana. But the thing was, is that when I got out, we got into a big argument in the parking lot when we left. And I said, Tatiana said, stop. Here, give me a hug. I said, you know what, Tatiana, I love you very much, but I just want you to know, look at the impact this had on our relationship. We got this big fight, we got this blowout. I was rude and impatient to people in Costco. You know what I mean? I wasn't multiplying people's energy. I wasn't a gift and a contribution to people. Right. I made people feel unsafe being around me. Right. I was a, <laughs> right. So I was a threat to people. I was a risk to people. In Costco. <laughs> At Costco. <laughs> oh my gosh. So she's like, you're right. I'm not, we're not going to Costco anymore together. Right. And if we're going to go, we'll go on a Monday because Monday is always a slow, by the way, people want to leverage time because you think about this, right? So Tatiana, my partner, she was a high school teacher for 35 years. We just retired her last year. She's now my full-time director of operations, runs my group of companies. She's my integrator, and I'm the visionary. And here's the interesting thing about this. So think about this as a teacher, okay? Some of you might be watching or educators. You, or you have a brother or sister or family that's a teacher. So think about this. They go to school. They, they spend a lot of time and money to get formal education degrees. Tatiana has three degrees. She's bilingual in French and English. The time that she gets off, she gets off summer breaks, Christmas time, Easter, and Thanksgiving. So if she wants to go anywhere as a teacher, when she gets her breaks as a teacher, every time she gets a break, it's the highest amount of time money to travel the airlines charge the most hotels charge the most so i said to her i said so and so so when we retire she's like oh my gosh things are so much cheaper when i travel with you i'm like why she says well when i would travel i'd always travel easter thanksgiving christmas or summertime which is the most expensive times to travel right so if you consider when you want to travel travel when the you know watch what the mass of the population do and go the other way if you can Right. Just look for ways that you can. Another great way I always teach people how to how to create revenue streams. OK, one of the things okay. I always teach people, I said, listen, this month for the next 30 days, let's just play a game. And if you go out for, you know, you've got a coworker or a buddy or somebody you go to church with or somebody you hang out with and you go someplace and somebody buys you a breakfast or a lunch or a dinner or they buy you a coffee or buy you a beer or buy you a beverage or buy you a sporting ticket, whatever it is, they pay for your meter parking on the street. So 
you were going to spend that money anyways on that beer or that food beverage or that meal ticket. You're going to spend the money anyways, but somebody unexpectedly paid for it. So what do you do? Well, you were going to spend that money anyways. So what I encourage you to do is to take that money, figure out what the dollar amount is, and take that money and put it into your IRA in the United States. Put it into your TFSA, tax-free savings account in Canada, or put it into a, a savings account. And now what you do on the side, you know, and I've shown people who are just being mindfully aware that every time somebody unexpectedly, so I'll give you an example. The other day I was parking. And I went to pull up in this parking uh, with my vehicle. I parked on the street to go for a meeting. And the parking meter was, was out of service. And uh, there was a sign there that says, out of service, you don't have to pay, right? From bylaw enforcement. So I looked and it was $6 an hour to park, okay? Six bucks an hour to park on the street. Okay. So I was going to be in the meeting for an hour and a half. It would have been $9 to pay to park. So I went inside for my meeting. The guy was a few minutes late. I went ahead. I took my app on my phone. And I transferred $9 from my checking account into my investment account because I was going to spend the $9 on the parking meter anyways. So now I just redirected the money into an investment account, which now I can take and put it into a stable income producing asset that will pay me passive income over a period of time. I'll start to build it up. So when people are saying, hey, man, I'm, I'm choices, man, they're all choices. Like they're just and I think the big struggle I'm just realizing now is I think people just aren't aware of the power they have over the choices they make. Yeah. Right? Like You know, because we don't have money problems in life. We have thinking problems. That's it. There's no lack of money. When, you know, we live, we, we're in North America right now, so we live in a first world country, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I have water. I have electricity. You, you know what I mean? All this stuff. You know, it, our worst day is, 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 is a dream for people in third world countries. Yeah. Right? We have nothing. You know, people say my life is difficult. I always say compared to what? Be like, what do you mean? Like some of my staff was saying, oh, Darren, my life's so difficult. Really? Compared to what? And they're like, well, and they realize when they start to compare, their life's not so difficult. Their life is full of blessings. Yep. Blessings. Do you count your blessings every day? Do you feel gratitude? Like I just, a lot of times throughout the day, every day, I just look out and I think, man, I am so grateful for this life. I'm so grateful to run around in this meat suit, right? To have this skin bag, this meat suit of a human body of what I can do. And I'm just fascinated and curious like a kid all the time, right? Like when I go on an airplane, I'm fascinated by how this big jet gets off the ground and we're flying through the sky at 35, 40,000 feet. It just blows my mind. You know, how, how grateful we are for life, for the little things in life. When, when I meet somebody, I'm just like, thank you, right? Like yeah. we were flying and I said to the stewards, I said, you know, I want to acknowledge you. I thank you very much for, for being our flight attendant today. I thanked the pilots when I got the airplanes. Like, why are you thanking me? I said, because I'm grateful that you went to school, you got your education, and now you're taking care of us and making sure we're safe, right? Looking at life and, you know, when I see firefighters out in the public or police officers or first responders, I'm always thanking them, always thanking them because, you know, we have 911 here in North America. When I go to Uganda and I go to Kenya, East Africa, other parts of the world, they don't have 911. There's no number to phone call. Right. You hope there's a good Samaritan nearby that has some first aid or first response training to come and help you because it's a good Samaritan because nobody's coming to rescue you. See, it's these things that when people complain in North America, they complain about Donald Trump or they complain about the medical care system. They complain about things. I'm like, okay, something to consider is get a passport or use your passport and start to travel around the world and go do some humanitarian work. Go do some missionary work with your church. Go join a nonprofit group and go see the world. And you'll be blessed beyond imagine. We have a lot of immigrants that work with us. You know, it's interesting, the stories of an immigrant, of, of the, the hustle and these people. And, you know, some of my staff, you know, we pay some of my staff and they send money home to their families in their countries every two weeks, every month. Yep. 
you know, and, and, you know, and so I take it very seriously when I employ staff that, you know, the staff we're paying for, it's not just them. There's a ripple effect of that, that those financial dollars. It's taking care of not one, but one of many. And uh, I really take that into consideration with the people. Like that. You know, I get emotional because I see the impact that we have in those people's lives. And so it's mentoring people. It's believing in people, you know, believe more in people than they believe in themselves. And, and, it's, and it's, you know, it's pushing up people. And that's the key thing is how well do you believe in people? You know, and that's the thing is that, you know, people always say to me, well, Darren, you're just so lucky. I said, no, luck is preparation meeting opportunity because I'm being a go-giver rather than being a go-getter. Most people out there, what's for me? What can I take? What can I get? What am I entitled to? What does this company owe me? Like I had a guy the other day, for example, who told me he went to apply for a job at this company. They're interviewing other people. He was not shortlisted for the interview for the job. So he thought about trying to sue the company because he never got shortlisted on the job. Like, like, why do people think of that craziness? I think, and Dan, this goes back to it, man. I mean, like when it comes to staying grounded, and I think all of this was so important because I just realized, one, it's choices. And I love that you're, and I'm going to give you a little more credit than I think you're giving yourself. You have choices that you're making, but the choices aren't just to be mindful and conscious of where you're spending your time. You're also making a conscious choice to be grateful. Absolutely. Right. You're filling yourself up with love and gratitude. And I think before, when I asked about how do you nourish your spirit, I think that's, that, that's, that's got a lot with it, man. I mean, you stay grounded just because of you remind yourself of how much you have, how far you've come, how much you give and the responsibility you carry and how that allows others to carry their loved ones on their backs and do the things that they want to do. It can change in a moment. I have a good friend of mine just a few months ago was out on a date night with his wife, two kids, came home from the date night, pulling in the garage, wife jumped out to go see the babysitter to pay the babysitter. So she'd go on her way because it was a young girl who was babysitting, you know, she has to get home, right? And mm-hmm. uh, he came in, fell down the stairs, boom, dead. Just wow. fell down the stairs improperly, boom, hit his neck on the bottom of the stairs. She heard him, came out, he was dead. By the time oh, the ambulance got there, and revive him. Just how fast your life can change, Right. Good friend of mine was in a car wreck here just recently. The airbags didn't deploy, you know, serious car crash and new vehicle is only a couple of years old. The airbags malfunction in it, you know, just these little things that you take for granted and just life is so fragile and so short. So, you know, I've seen people become very, you know, I was with a guy here just, just, just a couple of weeks ago, you know, it was worth $50 million run very successful big corporations. Just saw him recently flat broke financially was up, right. Got up there, you know, never, you know, all this kind of stuff. Got gambling, risking stuff, and just it all crashed. Went through a divorce, blew up things, all that kind of stuff. And now he's down here and he, and he just, you know what I mean? And so he got so high on himself and he didn't stay grounded. He didn't stay grateful in gratitude, right? And he got cocky, he got arrogant, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And, and it sabotaged him. Yeah, man, Darren, I just wanted to, again, thank you so much again for opening up and, and kind of sh- sharing this perspective. I think it was a bit of, it's, it's a, it's a good reminder for me. And it, this, that's what the show really has become for me. It's a, it's a weekly reminder to remember things that, that I, I may forget. And I think I just, you just inspired me to go and take a hard look at the choices I'm making with even greater detail to see how I can be of service. So thank you, brother. I, I appreciate you being wow. here so much. Secret to living is giving. Secret to living is giving. I love that. That is beautiful. Beautiful wrap up for this episode. All right. Well, guys, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your friend, Darren. And from us, 
stay grounded. We'll chat soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.